Hi, I'm Lisa McEwen. And I'm Lisa Anita Wagner. And together we are... She's Gotta Have It! Exclamation mark. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to She's, She's Gotta, Gotta Have, Have It! Exclamation mark. mark, in which we talk about iZombie Season 1, Episode 7. We also have a guest today with us. Yeah. Emily Gillespie. Emily, welcome. welcome. Thank you. Emily, did you want to just give a little introduction? Okay, the short version of who I am is I'm a interdisciplinary artist, primarily a writer and performance artist, and I call myself a millennial daydreamer, and I'm kind of running all over uh, doing everything and trying to get by in this economy, so... Yes. I will say the millennial daydreamer. Millennial daydreamer and oh. Emily's novel Dancing with Ghosts is really good. Ooh. Get it from the library yeah. or buy it. And I'm working on my second novel right now. Yeah, and you just got a big yeah, grant and I got a for grant that from the Toronto Arts Council. So I'm working on that and doing performance art with Lisa. Yeah, Emily is one of the icon entourage of intangible adorations. Nice. Mm-hmm. I like to tell people that I'm more committed to storytelling than sticking with one medium. So yeah. I, yes. I tend to uh, expand uh, ways to express myself in narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we... should we do what what we want? Sure. We still haven't found our guitar card. Yeah. Oh, I'm turning so many words around today. We still haven't found our guitar cord. All right, I got one. You got one. I got one. This is, this is off the top of my head. Uh, as my as my symptoms get better, which is great, um, I go through moments of being impatient with it, but also I'm in this, I'm in the final month leading up to my dissertation submission, Mm-mm. and there's a lot of tension that I'm holding in my body right now, and so I would like to stretch more. Mm. Because I think that, like, I underestimate how important that is. Yeah, I'll just add to that. Actually, as you guys saw when we were watching this episode, I had my legs up the wall. I do that every day. I missed a day. I really felt it. Yeah. It's just really interesting yeah. when you do get into a regular, even, you know, doing a short amount every day. So, yeah. Yeah. I get behind that one. I will start mine similarly. I am also feel like I've got a betterness. I feel like I've had some, uh, I've seen some new doctors. I'm eating better. I'm no longer malnourished. That was one of the issues I had. I was eating food bits here and there, but it wasn't absorbed. It was, it was poor absorption. So I feel this new zest. And I guess for me, I really want to use it well, but still not crash myself. I've sort of, I guess it's pacing. Yeah. I want to find the correct pacing. But I think I've done a good job. I talked earlier another time about, in this segment, about wanting to maintain my ambition for myself, even when I literally could barely move. Because I think I realized before that I would kind of pretend I was less ambitious when I couldn't do stuff. So I was trying to find a balance. Mm. But yeah, now when I look at my calendar, I feel slightly overwhelmed because now I have booked something in sort of every two days. And I want to, yeah, ride that well. So to take advantage of it, but still do less is more. So that was a very convoluted one, but I guess it's like, yeah, really using my energy well, maintaining the level of ambition for myself, but not doing too much. Mm, That's key. So yeah, it is kind of key. Yeah. Wow. For a while I was having really concrete ones. That was very, very non-concrete, but yeah, riding energy better, best I can as a spoonie. Mm -hmm. What do I want? 
I want a lot of stuff. Good. Yes. yes, I want a lot of stuff. Some of it's appropriate to talk about, other, other pieces not so much. Right now, I really want to find the dream publisher for my second book. Because mm. I feel like if I get it into the right hands, it's really going to make it. Uh, so that's long-term what I want. What I want in this moment is like a really greasy pizza with like cheese stuffed crust. Oh. <gasps> yes. crust? I forgot that yeah. existed. I just want really greasy pizza. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Your first book was tremendous. I look forward to you getting a really awesome publisher this time to yes. really get it out there. Yeah. Because, yeah, I was so happy to hear that you... It's in the library, but saddened to hear that you and your friends had to do that. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. With a small publishing house. A lot lot of legwork. Small business. Yeah. Because that's basically what you're doing. You're learning about marketing. You're learning about how the publishing industry works. You're getting it out there in part yourself. So I'm looking forward to uh, taking those lessons I've learned and applying them, the lessons I've learned about publishing, and applying them for uh, round two. Yeah. Yeah, I think I know a lot more than I did a few years ago, so I'm excited for that. Woohoo, awesome. Shall we head into episode seven? It's called Maternity Live. When a pregnant woman dies, leaving her baby behind, Liv develops a strong maternal instinct from eating her brain. Major makes a discovery. Perhaps we should actually just start with a tiny little bit for listeners that might sure. not know. Because, yeah, we, yeah. we are doing Eye Zombie this week. It was uh, Emily's choice. And at this moment, we're just doing the one episode, episode seven. So maybe actually, I don't know, Emily or Lisa, do you want to just do a, a little opener to the, to the show? A few sentences to maybe give some context? So Eye Zombie is a show about... Liv Moore, so she's the main character, and she, at the beginning, the pilot episode, becomes a zombie at a party, and then this kind of changes her career path, so she now works in the morgue, and she helps to solve crimes by eating the brains of the murder victims, and then taking on their personality and having flashbacks that helps her get insight into what happened to the victims. So every episode she has a bit of a different personality and is really influenced by the brain that she consumed. Which is kind of like banana's premise I would never thought of, but it's amazing. It's completely fucking... Mm-hmm. I do think the main actress is really great. Yes. Just, just in terms of, we always, we talk about authenticity. I feel like I really believe that she's doing all that stuff, like straight up. You know how sometimes you see a character like that and you're like, could she really do that? Yep. She totally could. Yeah. She's got a really good dramatic weight. And with a lot of the kind of style of the lines, she's just so good at the delivery. So yeah, I just think that she's a huge part of that as well. And it's neat too having watched multiple episodes and I know we're focusing on one, but she keeps certain elements of her personality and you can see her kind of fighting to stay herself even when she's on these different brains. Which really made me think about like mental illness or someone on drugs and what parts of yourself do you always kind of keep and then what parts kind of keep switching based on what else you're experiencing. So it's really neat to watch her grow as a character and try to remain authentic to herself when she's being inhabited by whoever she consumed. Consumed. Mm-hmm. I actually was thinking a lot about disability and mental illness when I started watching this. Because yes. she kind of, suddenly something happens and her life changes and her abilities like shift, shift. drastically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And and all of one aspect too that I'm really keen on, I think we had talked before, it's like she's an ethical zombie because of her working in the um, morgue. She, yeah, she's able to, I guess, get her fill of brains there, which also gives her those, the powers and the whole thing, but she doesn't have to go out and kill people to get brains in the traditional way. So that is the thing that really won my heart right off the bat. That, I thought it was yeah. such a clever, like, kind of life hack on a zombie. Yeah. And sometimes she really struggles with that as well. Like, you know, if she's eating the brain of a killer or someone whose head she really doesn't want to be in, she's kind of taking one for the team and being like, okay, I really don't want to be this guy and this is going to be a hard time but it's just temporary. It's kind of like you're entering this temporary trip of, okay, you're going to have this experience with this brain and you're going to become someone you really don't want to be, but it's for the greater good. That aspect of sort of imbibing and absorbing the soul of others is actually interesting. Um, And that also even makes more sense to me now. Like why, so zombies must be like so angry and then also confused because if they're eating brains, they'd have all this other information. So that just makes it, yeah, it just gives more information to me as a non-zombie watcher normally and someone that wouldn't have been drawn to this i do see lots of appealing aspects and the confusion if we want to go back to episode seven i found it so interesting how the person so she's dating someone who i believe is heterosexual and then this zombie consumes the brain of a gay man and then all of a sudden isn't attracted to her so like you watch their sexuality change based on what brain they consume as well yeah the corresponding confusion with that that was a really good comedic moment before Mm -hmm. you know that whole thing but i think they kiss and he goes ew yeah (laughs) it wasn't really never experienced that before yeah so that was very interesting and yeah they use the moments the writing's really good i find i laughed out loud i feel like four times like Mm -hmm. in that not a laugh out louder person yeah Mm -hmm. yeah you're not at all no i see shows with her all the time listeners she's very like (laughs) you're very stoic i sometimes don't know what you think until the end because i can really think something's hilarious and just say that's hilarious and i know some people are like yeah because you actually laughed you did that at my stand-up comedy one oh no That's so funny. It made me laugh out loud. <laughs> but I can see how it'd be disconcerting, even though I can love something yeah. and think it's actually very hilarious, but it still doesn't. But I like, yeah, this show made me like, actually, like I was like, I'm LOLing right now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So can you say a bit more about what, uh, why you chose this particular episode? Well, I guess I was thinking about the, the theme of the female gaze and I was thinking about what is this maternity... So every episode, she's consuming someone else's brain. And I was thinking, okay, what does maternity brain do to this, like, very strong female character who's kind of... There's guys in the background of this show, but she's very much in charge. Mm-hmm. Like, things get solved because of her. So I was, I, I was curious what this kind of maternal instinct, how it would shape her personality uh, for the show. So that's why I picked this one. Um, So it showed her, like, being closer even to her mom, who throughout the series, she doesn't get along well with her mom. Like, her mom has different life plan for her, doesn't think she should be working in the morgue. That's kind of a lower job. She should be a doctor. That's what her mom was really pushing, something higher up. And then these maternal instincts kind of showed her being more open to other people in her life. Yeah, often, because often, so one thing I'll dive into initially is that I think often maternal figures are villainized. They're often villainized in literature, and I think it's like, 
a very easy character to like blame a lot on and to have a lot of hostility towards. I mean, some of us have better mothers than others. So some, some mothers deserve hostility, but I found it interesting because it's not like the obvious person you think you need compassion for, but she suddenly sees her mother who she finds quite annoying and nitpicky and judgmental Mm -hmm. suddenly in this new way Mm -hmm. where she kind of can feel the, the care of it, even though that's not often how she, she would feel otherwise. Yes. Yeah. And then she took that lesson too, when she came off the brain and she mentioned kind of still having that bond with her family Mm -hmm. because she experienced it from the maternal brain. And that's something throughout the series that she'll kind of take, they're almost like these little mini drug trips or something, but she'll take the lessons that she had on someone's brain and kind of, if it's relevant, add it to the rest of her life. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she really is an ethical zombie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because she's also, I mean, she's a very strong character, but she's a very young woman who's, you know, especially before she died, she was on this very specific career path. Mm -hmm. And you don't get the impression at the beginning that she's selfish, but she's a little bit self-absorbed. Like, a lot of it is, like, Mm -hmm. about her career, and then suddenly it becomes about this sort of survival of, like, how do I I stay a zombie and how do I, like, manage this? Mm -hmm. And then suddenly this episode really like really kind of focuses her outwards and the other people into the other people of her life I think in a in a more extreme way than before yeah and I feel too a little bit like I love her tone of like everything so sarcastic but it seemed like it just softened her whole being a little bit that sort of opened her up in a way that was interesting I also find it interesting that she has a particular job like she's a medical examiner and there's other men around her who, who are more powerful. Like, for instance, like the detective, yet she never really stays in her assigned job role even. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, in this episode, she went in and found the girls. And that's a continual kind of habit of hers. And it changes based on what brain she's in. But she kind of does her job and then also does the guy's job sometimes or does things her own way. She's very much like, I'm not going to sit back and wait or I'm not going to follow the rules. Like, I'm more interested in saving people or being ethical than playing by the book. So she very much cuts through a lot of red tape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really does seem to be, like, her show and her perspective. Because you know how a lot of procedural shows mm. have more of a, like, yeah. the whole group? It's true mm-hmm. what you said. Like, it's def- it's. It's her show. She's telling it. She drives the stories, especially for a procedural ensemble cast. It really is t- like all her all the time in a way that's really appealing, I think. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, I feel like automatically makes it feel more f- female gazy just because she is so much mm-hmm. the, the subject and it's, yeah, and it's celebrating her all the time, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I was curious about that when I started watching it, how this looks like a Hollywood procedural, how it would sort of fit into this. But I think it does by nature of, yeah, her and the the whole storytelling machine, which seems super focused on her. And to dovetail on your point, just to get a little more theoretical, I find it really interesting so it's kind of like this like comic-y very like straightforward version of like how she gets inside somebody else's perspective and obviously like empathy doesn't quite work that straightforwardly in in everyday life if you remember what we were talking about during the gosford park episode where i was talking about how our ideas about knowledge also inform how we search that knowledge out right so the detective's ideas in gosford park mean that he dismisses 
all of the servants as reliable narrators or reliable knowers and he doesn't Mm -hmm. ask them anything and so he doesn't kind of like find out all the stuff that they have insight into and it's like similarly like her ability to do this provides like a kind of emotional perspective on reconstructing the story that's like really integral to understanding like what actually happened Mm -hmm. in a way that's often like undervalued right and Liv often innately knows something from her flashbacks and then they have to kind of turn to the male detectives and whatnot to find the proof, the evidence. Yeah. Like, she'll feel something or she'll have right. some little picture of something. Like, in this episode, she saw the picture of the back of the dog catcher's head. And then it's left up to the supporting characters to go find proof for what she just knows. Yeah, because mm-hmm. her feelings aren't mm-hmm. taken seriously as evidence. Or, I mean, like, they are by maybe her friends, yeah. but that's not enough for... Mm-hmm. She's often believed, too. Like, I think the men in the show often respect her and believe her and are there kind of trying to support I really like that. that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, that's that's really clear, sort of with the same thing that I was saying, how it feels like she's really the subject all the time of everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that, yeah, I feel like a different show would have had it more jokey, like, oh, her again with her ideas, but then none of that. Like, they, mm-hmm. they do fully believe everything that's great yeah that's, and I think that's it's an interesting aspect something interesting too that pops up and i was thinking about this in terms of like mental illness or substance use but the guys so for instance uh, ravi who she works with in the morgue and then the detective they understand she's on different brains and try to go along with it and respect yeah. it like okay they're not condescending but like you're acting this way because you're a maternal instinct or you're acting this way because of whatever your brain you're on yet they still manage to interact with her in whatever state she's in and kind of mm-hmm. navigate that space of not being condescending to her, but yeah. being empathetic towards who she's being influenced by. And the ways that they have to kind of bend around that and yes. and change and be aware and attuned to the dynamic so that they know how to yeah. navigate it. The lack of condescension. I yeah. feel like yeah. that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And she's also very mindful. Like, she's mindful of what brain she's on. So sometimes she'll acknowledge that, like, hey, it's the maternal brain or, hey, it's the scientific brain or whatever yeah. that's making me act this way. And as a side note, the way she eats brains and noodles, I always oh, yeah. am craving noodles. Yeah. And yeah, the brains so bro- the bra- the brains actually gross me out. Like, but they yeah. kind of look maybe like little meat- meatballs or something. Yeah. But I'm always craving. They yeah. don't remind me of little shrimps. Oh sh- yeah. <laughs> and sometimes they do longer scenes too on her consuming the food. So sometimes this almost like food porn scene a little bit, comes yeah. up where she'll be making something elaborate or she'll be making food with another zombie friend, and it'll be this like feast like you'll see her sexual cravings and her food cravings Mm. and desire right yeah Mm -hmm. and i just learned today upstairs when i asked you guys so zombies can have sex with each other because that was unclear to me Mm. yes and if they have sex with a human then this human is at risk of becoming a zombie so that's what broke down her relationship with major who is still in her life they were engaged at the beginning of the show what's her name again live live which stands for olivia Mm-hmm. But is also a kind of play, like a joke play mm-hmm. on words. Yeah. Live more. Oh, yeah, live more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I just noticed her last name pun. Yeah, whoops. And something else to note, too, about Liv that comes up in this episode and throughout the whole season, too, is she's navigating being out as a zombie. So she doesn't, she's very white skinned, blonde hair, very visually a zombie. 
versus other zombies yeah. dye their hair and put makeup on and whatnot. And later on, like, throughout the seasons, like, she's very political about being a zombie and very much Mm. is kind of, like, out of the closet Mm. around being a zombie and zombie politics. I do remember there was a scene they showed some hair dye, and they've Mm. shown bronzer, too, like, in in things. Mm -hmm. So I guess that... um... Yeah, because there are other zombies who aren't out about it. And, like, in that universe, it's still a second-class citizen to be a zombie. Like, it's... She, she can't openly be a zombie or she's can't acknowledge for instance she can't acknowledge the flashbacks or where she's getting certain knowledge from because she's not supposed to be a zombie yeah and i'm sure s- people wouldn't love it that she's eating the brains out of the people she's working on mm-hmm. that's not gonna thrill people and that was an interesting moment so for instance she ate emily's brain and emily was the dead pregnant lady and then she was having that conflict with Emily's ex-boyfriend because she was experiencing being Emily. So it's interesting watching how she interacts with people. Yeah. Yeah, there really are a lot of layers going on. Mm -hmm. Can I bring up a slightly new thing? Yes. Which is a bit related, which, can we talk about the zombie rage? How she deals with that? It strikes me as, in some ways, almost like a metaphor for hormones or something. Like, this way that, like, these this sort of, like, rush of chemicals comes on and they get this, this, like, really intense emotional reaction. And some, like, so, you know, there's the, there's the cop who's not out as a zombie. Spoilers, listeners, sorry. Spoilers in this episode. As uh, all 12 of our listeners know. Um... <laughs> But he just gives right into it in this way that you see Liv, like, kind of constantly trying to resist it. Like, she she still experiences it, but she doesn't use it as an excuse. Mm -hmm. And the rage is something they have to tiptoe around as well, because especially for someone like that cop who is trying to not be out as a zombie, that moment of rage is very much this moment where it's evident that you're a zombie. Yeah. Yeah. So trying to... I don't know, I keep thinking about this in terms of mental health, but trying to, like, role-play as a human mm. for them, mm-hmm. and then if they get triggered and go into this, mm. like, it seems like this angry, oh, hormonal, yeah. triggered rage, like, if they get hurt or if something extreme happens. Mm-hmm. And there's been moments throughout the series when Liv gets outed as zombie because something happened and she went into that rage. So it's very much just, yeah. like, protective, like... yeah. Don't let them see this rage or they'll know what you are. Oh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah, that moment confused me with the cop that at this point we don't know yet. But I just, he just shot someone randomly and I was like, wait, wait, wait what did I just miss? Like, I was like, did, did he know her? Like, I was trying to put right. it together. Yeah. Um, but then I realized what it was and he was able to contain it. But yeah, he didn't ha- seem to have an emotional reaction to killing someone. So mm-hmm. that would be, look very bizarre if somebody would see that as yeah. well. Yeah, so that rage aspect is also really interesting to me because I do think that's just a human aspect. But it reminded me too of yeah, like 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 a female rage. Do you know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. like that it's extra with their eyes go, and then mm-hmm. a lot of people think that women have no, you know, like, like hysteria, yeah. hysteria. Yeah, and then the consequences for her for that rage are oh. even more so than like the regular consequences women experience for mm. being emotional or showing rage or frustration if she's going to be penalized for being a zombie especially places like the workplace you really can't show that rage yeah and she's put in a lot of situations that would be really frustrating 
where it would be very, not that you need to validate rage, but where it makes sense that mm-hmm. she would go into that state. Yeah. Yet there is this constant battle not to show that side. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of mental health parallels here. Mm-hmm. I really like it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. Until this conversation, I couldn't... I knew I liked her, but I just watched the first episode, and I was like, I like this. I don't normally like procedurals too much, mm-hmm. and I don't like shows that sometimes have that kind of jokey tone, but it's a really, really good version, and I think the lack of condescension and the way ever all the stuff we just talked about is so a part of that, what makes it, for me, really a lot more watchable. Yeah. And I think... I wonder if the people in her life can support her more because they know it's temporary. Like, the brain wears off Mm. in this many hours. We'll get you a new brain. And sometimes they even joke about what kind of brain they want next. So, for instance, if she's not working on a case, then she has more freedom and she can go pick the type of brain that she wants. And does she just go into the morgue and pick another brain in there? It changes based on the season, but there's places that cater brains. So you can be like, I would like, I don't know, a pianist brain. Or, for instance, the guy she was dating said he was going to get a super hetero brain after because he wanted to be with her. So you can go some places and pick off a menu of what type of brain you want. But she's not doing that. She's taking... You know, these brains, even sometimes when she really doesn't want to experience, like, this person is brutally murdered, and you're going to subject yourself to that. Yeah. And sometimes there's almost, like, this trauma response. Like, she's living through someone's, all these murders, and she's getting yeah. flashbacks of being murdered in most of these bodies. Yeah. And she's just accepting of that. And it's very much, she she goes to work, and she has work hours, but eating that brain, that's then a 24-7 job. Like, she wakes up sometimes at night with flashbacks or she's yeah. trying to go on a date and she's impacted by that brain she's on. So she's kind of embodying this life and this role and it goes beyond just her career. And with taking in, because often the folks, if they are dead, usually there's some kind of trauma. So it's true, she's constantly taking in other folks' trauma and living mm-hmm. it and then it's making her kind of into like this empathic rock star because Mm -hmm. of it because she's actually living it as she's going through Mm -hmm. the other thing i found interesting about the maternal one in particular is there's something that in philosophy and i'm sure psychology has a term for this too which is called a transformative experience which is and often people use parenthood as an example of this which is like if you're deciding whether or not to have a baby like you can't know all that information until you have the baby right Mm -hmm. so like you're trying to make this choice kind of like from a a disadvantaged position because you can't weigh all the evidence and you can't like weigh what it actually feels like to be a parent and what I really like is that like she gets a kind of like glimpse into these very transformative experiences that are like the kinds of information the kinds of insights that like you don't really get on an everyday basis and then and she's able to kind of carry that with her into her own family But I was trying to think as somebody myself who does not have any children, it's like, yeah, like there's something about her maternal instinct that I relate to, but also a lot that I don't, like, I just don't have Mm -hmm. that. Because, I mean, I've mixed feelings when people say this, like, oh, when you're a parent, you'll understand, like, what it's like. But I think that there's something really true about that. Like, you, Mm -hmm. you develop, like, a new sort of, like, dimension of emotional range or something, or kind of, it, your emotional range kind of expands to allow out these, these nuances you hadn't had before. 
And I found that really interesting to think about while we were watching this. Because I can relate to it in, like, moments. Like, my when I'm teaching, I often kind of, like, get that kind of impulse towards my classes and my students. But it's not, it's not to the same level and it's not the same thing, really. <laughs> and Liv, as a zombie, acknowledges at the end when she's, the maternal instincts are where, like, it... wearing off that brain is wearing off that she's probably never going to feel that closeness with a baby again i remember she's saying that yeah yeah exactly and so as a zombie too in the position she's in she knows that she's likely never going to be a parent and she even mentions that the only person that she might have wanted to have kids with was her ex who is still a human so she's kind of you know having this venture into what that experience of motherhood would have been like through it's also interesting that close female bond like so she gets to have this close connection with emily who's dead through experiencing emily's love for her child Mm -hmm. so like this interesting look at like the intimacy of whose brain she consumed and in that instance like this like maternal female intimacy So if two zombies can have sex, can two zombies have a baby that is born a zombie? No. Are they would they still birth a human? I'm not sure what the zombie procreation process is like. I know they're trying to stop the spread of zombieism. So I'm not sure if that's just discouraged or if that's physically impossible. <laughs> but for her, her romantic like her like soulmate in this yeah. show is a human. Yeah. And she kind of has to walk away and break that off with him because they can't physically be together mm-hmm. because he's human. And she ne- doesn't have the idea to zombieize him because she loves him that she wants to keep him fresh and alive. For this season. For this season, yes. And it's kind of this bittersweet. They both still love each other and they both still support each other sometimes and he comes and has her back, but she's very much the star of the show. But yeah, when she became a zombie, she had to push him away. Interesting. Well, it's interesting too with people really liking zombie films and I'd be like, oh my god, who cares? And now this is the first time that I like, I have this interest in them where I was like, oh yeah. And I'm not a zombie film person either, yeah. as I mentioned. Yeah. Speaking back of desire, one of my friends thought I would find the character who plays Liv attractive and I was like, yeah. sure, Netflix, bring it on. And then I stumbled <laughs> into this show and I think I appreciate it more because it's not something I typically watch. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I would not go watch, like, a zombie film. That's not something I think I'm interested in. But this is so character-driven and so emotionally based. And I right away kind of love the connection to mental health that was there for me anyway. Yeah. And, of course, like, strong female leads. And the guys are just really there to serve her in a way. Yeah. And I guess back to the female gaze. I do remember Jill Soloway said that often in a uh, with a female gaze the storyline is emotional, not, like, rational. So that yeah. with, that really lines up with that particular aspect. It's interesting, too, um, that, like, binary between, like, emotional and rational, because even when Liv's on, like, a more extreme brain, you still see her sticking with her job or trying to fight to make rational decisions that aren't based on, like, whatever intense emotion she's experiencing and sometimes she's really really fighting herself to stay within her job or to not 
say yeah, lose, present. lose it on a character. That's a real mental health thing too, yeah. eh? When we're trying to like figure out how if you're having a bad time and you yeah. have to like figure out you're like I always feel like I'm channeling myself if I have to go be in a meeting or something yeah. when I'm not there. Yeah. You're channeling yourself. I can yeah, you, like can you say more about that? Sure. Mm. I remember this really struck me actually right before I got really sick in two thousand and eight, I was leading up to going to the Cannes Film Festival. So it's funny at that point. I was really, really, really sick and m messed up. And now knowing the whole EDS thing, to malnourished and like really like at, at a very low physically with everything. And I had this, I had a, what was the designer? Franco Mirabelli suit. I think this really expensive suit. <laughs> and I was going in because I raised money to get us to Cannes, right? Yeah. So at this point, I literally was like quite mentally ill, really like at the time the relationship I was in was terrible. Like my life was a big giant shit show mess. And I would like style my hair, put on a little lipstick, put on this suit and go in. And I was so broken and lost. And I would have these terrific meetings and I would come out and I was like, holy crap, I just channeled myself. Like I mm -hmm. knew what I would say. Mm -hmm. I wasn't there at all in that space. Base, but I could pretend and other people couldn't sense it. Sense it, yeah. And it made me feel really kind of creepy and weird at the time, but it was a skill because it did allow me, although a bad skill at the time because it allowed me to push and push and push and push yeah. till I mega crashed. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that that aspect was felt kind of similar. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point I was definitely fighting, like you just how you describe with Liv, trying to keep my rational brain online. So I was like, okay, I gotta do this thing, get this thing, get to these meetings, do, convince people of stuff. And I was like, not sure who I was <laughs> at the time. So it's this really tight holding on to like the, yeah. what do they call that? The uh, executive functioning of yes. your brain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you see Lyft struggling with that too in a different way, trying to follow the rules of the workplace, trying to like, mm -hmm. okay, don't touch this person. Don't lash out at this person. Here's how you can act in this space and go along with it. And you see on the different brains are fighting to kind of follow the social rules for the workplace. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I role play as a human that's not experiencing this brain. Yeah. I felt like I was role playing mm -hmm. as a human when I didn't yes. feel human. Like I was like, yeah. oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. 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 Interesting. That is um, a really good way in a, in a TV series to show that aspect of maneuvering. I felt like I, was, I maintained a little bit of myself and a little bit of my rational self, even when I was like floridly in a weird, bad space. And that's good for life. It was bad for getting help because yeah, I could yeah. always like, I'd be like, I'm not okay. And I was like, hi, this is why I'm not okay. And then someone's like, oh, if you can tell me that you're fine. And yeah, I was yeah. like, no. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm um, running on fumes. <laughs> I'm running on fumes from three years ago. Please <laughs> let me crash here. So I think that's a really important skill. It's super cool. She has it. It also shows too, I feel like a lot of being very specific around ethics too. And like not just banging through your life, but really being aware of your surroundings and everyone else. It's like modeling, just good life, mm -hmm. good life mm -hmm. living under intense circumstances that definitely fit the same shape as a disability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, this zombie show is teaching us how to be better people and how mm -hmm. to live well. Yeah, yeah. Live more. Live more. Live more. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. With her sister or her friend, live well. <laughs> yeah. I think I've Check out. Yeah, exhausted all the things I wanted to say. It was That was a good chat, though. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. a good chat. Zombies. Who knew I liked them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Zombies and mental health. health. Yeah. yeah. My question's funny. I'm looking at Emily seriously. But can they have a baby? Can one zombie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Zombie I have know. a baby? <laughs> Sex said for zombies. <laughs> I get Coming the feeling. Up next. It's like vampires. Like, they, they're kind of sterile with each other. And, and, like, their procreation is more, like, to humans. 
But that makes sense. That's that makes my, sense. That's I know I later on in the show it became comes this huge thing about not wanting the zombie virus to spread because yeah. some humans, especially some you know, like there's class elements to this, but some mm-hmm. like lower class or struggling humans want to become zombies because of the powers they get. Mm. Or there's later on in the series as well, sometimes there's someone who's chronically ill or dying mm. and they want to become a zombie so that they can have the strength of becoming a zombie. And then there's a yeah. struggle about if we're proud to be zombies, then what's wrong with creating more and like their yeah. whole place in the society that lives ends up becoming central to oh, this Oh, that is so much like disability. Yeah. yeah. When I teach disability in bioethics yeah. and reproduction. It's very close it's like, to disability stuff. Yeah. 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 Oh. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well. Yeah, thank you so thank much you for coming for on. Thank you for coming. And thank you for having me. Bringing the show to us. Yeah, and check out iZombie. Yeah. yeah. Check out on iZombie. Netflix. It's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Right. Well, now, now that, that we've, we've said, said it, it we, we gotta, gotta get, get it. it. Woo!